Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. It's me again, Ashley Lauren Rogers, and I am very excited to talk about Split by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, My friend Tony came on, and they are great. Uh, I also want to say I apologize, not because of technical issues. Technical issues are fine now. No, no, no. Uh, The reason I want to apologize is because Tony and I decided, you know, I said to Tony, hey... I want to try and enforce a structure. I think that structure is a good thing. I think it's great to experiment with it. Um, And unfortunately, as you'll hear, it just, it doesn't work. So we tried, you know, we're always trying new things and it, we're never going to do that again. We're never going to do the good, the bad, and the transphobic because so much of it is linked. So that's fine. Uh, Also, I want to let you know, remind you, hey, October 21st, 3 p.m. at the Tank in Manhattan, New York City. That's right. We're doing our first ever Is It Transphobic live show. And we're going to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. You've heard Split. You've heard Sleepaway Camp. Hey, we've even done Silence of the Lambs. Now we're doing the one that started it all. The mother of them all, if you will. Psycho. So, uh, yeah. I'm stoked. We're going to have a lot of folks from the podcast back on uh, talking about different things. We're going to be doing a couple of skits, and we're also going to be doing, uh, if I can get things working the way I want them to, a little game show. So, yeah, I'd love to see you. Tickets are $10. I know that it's money, but at the same time, $10 isn't much, and we'd really love to see you out there. So thank you so much. Enjoy this episode. And if you're in the New York area, come on out and see us. It'll be a grand time. But for now, enjoy M. Night Shyamalan's Split. So hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I am the creator and producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast, and I use she, her pronouns. And today I'm being joined by... Uh, My name is Tony Kokensparger. I'm a writer from Ohio who now lives in Harlem, and I use they, them pronouns. Awesome. So today we're talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Yeah, this was a movie. Uh, that's uh, that's a definition of a movie. <laughs> so why don't we, like, I'm trying a new structure for things. Um, I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking about breaking up how we talk about movies in the good, the bad, and the transphobic. So let's start with a little uh, recap. Like if people haven't, if people don't know what this movie is, do you feel confident in being able to recap what this movie is? Uh, uh, Split is, and we're spoiling everything, right? Yeah, actually, let's throw out a... 
So we're going to throw out a spoiler alert. Uh, we are definitely going to tell you everything that happens in this movie because we have to in order to talk about it. Um, but I will also throw out there are going to be a there is definitely a trigger warning because there are moments in the movie uh, of forced captivity. There are moments in the movie of uh, implied child molestation, um, a lot of other like gore needles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think I think those are all the triggers for that and what we're probably going to be talking about. Cool. And if people, I feel like we've given them enough of a chance to pause and go watch the movie if they're gonna. It's your fault now now if you want to pause and go watch Split by M. M. Night Shyamalan, which I I do not recommend. (laughs) Um, uh, Which is not not entirely fair. There are are pieces of this film. M. Night Shyamalan inherently knows how to make what could be considered a movie. Like he... He knows how to um, move from scene. To, it's not incomprehensible, is what I'm saying. Like it's not incoherent. It is, you know, th- there's plenty of things with his pacing that bother me. There's plenty of things with everything about this film that bothers me. There were also things that I enjoyed. So while my immediate like leaving the theater feeling is just a, 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 a an obliteration of eye rolls and groans and you know uh, dissatisfied utterances. There were things that I had fun with. Um, but now let's talk about all the bullshit. Um, uh, Split is a film about a man with... Um, what did they actually call it? Uh, disassociative disorder. Disassociative disorder. Or disassociative identity disorder. Disassociative identity disorder who we discover throughout the film has 23 distinct personalities who all supposedly, according to this film and according to the psychiatrist who's working with him... Um, can affect the body structure. So, for example, um, one of the personalities, um, and the personalities range gender and age and all this stuff, one of the personalities um, needs insulin shots because they're diabetic. Uh, None of the other personalities need insulin shots, and yet the body is still receiving insulin shots. Um, The film opens up with a few girls who are all in an art class together who are, like, leaving a party, um, a strange man gets, uh, uh, James McAvoy gets in the car with the three girls, um, sprays him in the face with something to knock him out and kidnaps them and just sort of goes from there. Which I gotta say, speaking of just jumping in and speaking of the good, I actually, from a horror perspective, that was very effective. Like it's, I didn't love it because of what the subject matter is, but as far as just a horror perspective, that was very well executed. Yeah, yes and no. Okay. Uh, only because Shyamalan's pacing mm. is so fucking slow and so slow at all the worst moments. Like it's it's this film. If you if you could cut out twenty minutes of this film and just make it you know move it it I it would function fairly well. All problems notwithstanding. Um, but when you go from something like that, the opening scene is phenomenal. The opening scene yeah. is really perfectly done um and then as like it's like the girls are um in the car there's the one quiet girl who's watching the um the dad is like putting groceries in the car and this this man approaches the dad and then all of a sudden this girl looks back and um the groceries are all on the ground and it's sort of like what what's up with that but she's quiet and doesn't say anything um getting them all kidnapped and then she turns slowly and the camera slowly turns and James McAvoy is just in the car. 
and the girl it takes the girls a second the girls in the backseat a second to notice and then he all of a sudden flips around and sprays them in the face with something and then for some reason doesn't spray the other girl in the face and then does and then the movie starts it's the the pacing of it is excellent the James McAvoy with um like is is bald on this film and somehow um it's different than the Professor X baldness. It's not a distinguished baldness. It's a something is wrong with you baldness. Um, it's creepy. He's immediately upsetting to look at. He's a wonderful actor and like does a great job in this film. It starts out great. It starts off with a fucking gunshot and then it slows to a near death crawl. Wow, like yeah, like emergency brake. Okay, and I think part of that was because he was trying to set the the atmosphere, but it was just boring watching the atmosphere. Like, all right, okay, I'm supposed to be afraid with these with these three teenage girls, and I'm not. It's just like, okay, okay, so now, all right, well, we've seen this. They're in a space, and it's kind of creepy but that's about it and it's like okay and i know and i mean like maybe it's because i've seen a bunch of horror films but i know that what they're going for is sort of like because it is kind of it's not subversive but it is in the like oh he's gonna murder them and it's like "Mm, no that's never the interesting choice is the instant murder it's like okay how can we drag things out and those do happen but yeah um and and the whole movie just kind of continues in a girls try to escape, uh, girls are unsuccessful, they are split off into three different rooms instead of one room, and uh, the other parts of the movie are James McAvoy talking to his psychiatrist. Um, but it's just yeah, like honestly, the pace the pace really picked up maybe halfway through. Like, halfway through the movie, it actually, like, once they started introducing this idea of the beast, suddenly it started to get better. It was still kind of, like, snail's pace and just, okay. Like, I was very bored throughout this whole movie, honestly. But there are select moments that I was like, okay, okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already getting rid of this system I've put in place. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and there's other, like, um, the girls wearing, like, there's other tropes that they play on. Girls wear increasingly less clothing as the film goes along. As the film goes along, he punishes them individually by removing articles of clothing, um, which becomes a, um, uh, which we should trigger, warn about self-harm is a major player in this film. Um, the one quiet girl, the one who survives, the one who gets out, the hero of the film, more or less, is, um wearing many shirts and that's like a part of it is the other girls are reduced down to their bra down to their underwear and then there's this girl who keeps having another shirt on underneath for some reason which is like the only thing that's like really done very very well in terms of storytelling in this film is the way it's the she has all these um marks on her um he so the whole the whole plot is that he's um James McAvoy and all of his other personalities have this a new personality called a beast who has supernatural ability, can climb all over the walls, is super strong, and the beast wants to go after people who have not experienced pain to help them elevate their consciousness or something like that, even though he's going to kill them. So the, he's assuming with these three girls, because they're young, um, these are the perfect, it's the, the classic horror movie trope of the going after the virgin um, for whatever ideological gain. Yeah. Um, and when he goes, when he finally gets down to the last girl, it's t- time to remove her one last shirt. She's got, we've, we've learned by this point that she's 
been molested, that her father passed away, that then she had to live with her molester, who was her uncle. Um, that's why she's quiet at school. All this bullshit. And then at the end, uh, she removes that last, or he removes that last shirt from her and is going to kill her, and she's covered in um, marks from self harm. And there's nothing. It's one of those moments of perception shift where you're like, oh, of course. Like, of course that would be beneath the shirt. Um, and it didn't occur to me. And it was so well done and not really um, exaggerated uh, in its explanation. It was just sort of presented to you and you were supposed to understand it. And I thought that was like really dealt a nice, dealt with nicely, um, as was her moment with the police officer later where the police officer's like, your uncle's waiting for you now that we've got you um, bandaged up and you're out of the thing your uncle's waiting for you and the girl who the whole film is about her finally confronting her demons gives this police officer this look and you you're sort of left to believe okay she's gonna tell on her uncle now after all this time um which that's all like that's all really well done it's all the in-between stuff that feels like bullshit (laughs) so uh the beast comes out the beast is unleashed uh and again the beast is another personality and this ties into something that the psychiatrist character has been saying and i looked into this a little bit uh m night Shyamalan did a little bit of research like this is actually the proper medical term for uh this what has been used in movies to be called the split personalities hence the name of the movie being split um but the so like disassociative identity disorder is the actual term for this um but man sorry i just get angry every time i think of this movie it's so part of what the psychiatrist was saying was that the there are certain feats that people could potentially be able to do like there are like people that can lift three times their body weight Uh, just because that's one of their personalities. And so this is sort of what ties into the beast and who the beast is. The beast is someone with uh, basically the skin of a rhinoceros and uh, absurd strength. And so when the beast does show up, there is a lot of good filmmaking and shots for the beast. Some of it is dumb, but (laughs) when he is... When the psychiatrist comes to his home and the beast reveals himself to her, that moment where they don't show his eyes, where they cut it off and they like, oh man, like there are some really, I get why people have been saying with this movie, this is a return to Shyamalan's better filmmaking. And it is, but it's also a piece of garbage and I would never watch this again. To be fair, fair, it also like, if it's a return to M. Night, Shyamalan's filmmaking and I remember seeing the trailer for this and thinking it looked good and being like oh he made that like just having that like weird moment it reads as a screenplay it reads as his own deconstruction of himself as a filmmaker which is academically interesting until it's not performed well like as an exercise it's an interesting concept where there's this like fucking moment at the end where like Bruce Willis shows up at the end like literally as like a nod to his own bullshit but by that point the film's ended like three times like that's the third ending this film has funny enough uh not only is it a nod this is the uh it was actually revealed that that is in fact the character from Unbreakable and there is going to be a third movie coming out in January called Glass and it's going to feature all three of these characters. Uh, James McAvoy's character, 
Bruce Willis's character and Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass. And there is a little bit of, as far as like the marketing department, they did a really good job because it is a similar poster to the Unbreakable poster, but you wouldn't know any of this unless you watch the movie the whole way through and you see Bruce Willis at the end. And so the fact that this, at least this, I hope that there is not an extended Shyamalan universe because I don't want to live in that universe. But <laughs> it's like, okay, this was actually a pretty decent way to say, hey, we've made a sequel to Unbreakable and it's coming soon. <laughs> I hadn't seen Unbreakable. I didn't know Unbreakable. So that moment meant nothing to me. That, oh, okay. that moment at the end was me kicking a table again. Um, that moment at the end was uh, uh, meant nothing. It did nothing. It, it, <laughs> that moment at the end was like, why didn't this film end when the girl looked at the cop? Like, uh, it's fine if the because uh, the girl looks at the police officer. So the hero has achieved um, a, a, a transformation. The hero has arrived at the moment. The whole film shows all these flashbacks to her um, hunting with her dad and her uncle the same weekend her uncle was molesting her, and. Um, she's supposed to learn how to hunt on this weekend and like, um, you know, use a gun and, um, the, the, it ends in this like great moment where the girl is like aiming the gun at the uncle and yeah. then he gets it away from her. And so it's like about her failure to shoot the beast. And then she actually does shoot the beast, James McAvoy later, and then is given an opportunity to actually shoot the beast, which means to tell the police officer about her uncle who's molested her as a child. Um, and that's great, and that feels. If you end it there, it's fine that Shyamalan wants the be like James McAvoy to still be alive and still be out there. I can surmise that on my own. But then, it cuts from the police car to James McAvoy bullshit and uh, sort of like establishing this new thing where he's just like out there and having fun and like he's gonna go nuts again. And then Bruce Willis. So by the end of it, there's like it's almost like this like extended epilogue that I don't care about at all because it doesn't tie me to the emotional journey that we've been on and it just sort of keeps me going after long after i went to the end yeah yeah it was very lord of the rings and its multiple endings uh and that's about as the the most i will compare this to lord of the rings um the so let's talk about the bad which my immediate bad is that Disassociative identity disorder is something that gets immediately vilified in uh, Hollywood all the time. Um, there are a number of articles that I've listed in the description that you can see there. And if you're not there, I'll put it, I'll make sure that they're around. Uh, I'm going to read some of these in a little bit. But ultimately, with disassociative identity disorder, when people hear that, like they, they might not know what that means, but if you start describing it, they'll know what that's described as. And they'll immediately jump to films like Psycho. They'll immediately jump to films like, uh, I, I guess, something like this or uh, a number of other films where it's all about these uh, over-the-top caricatures of who these people are. And it's, it's an excuse to sort of create an evil character within a good character. If that makes sense. Besides that, it's also just um, taking a, a mental disorder and using it as a plot device. That's mm -hmm. um, something that uh, you know I would have done as like a college writer, like as an un in undergrad. That's a there was a piece I did that 
um, absolutely did that. And that's why I don't show that piece anymore is because I was just somebody who didn't have real world experience and was banking off of what I thought was maybe a thing and then kind of was a thing. And I was like, I'm using this thing. And then now look back on it and I'm like, oh, that's ethically fucked up. Yeah. On the other hand, M. Night Shyamalan probably could have known that as an adult adult and as somebody who is enmeshed in the world of filmmaking and doesn't have to make this movie and doesn't have to, you know, um, uh, uh, so that is bad. Um, the pacing I've already complained about and (laughs) continue to complain about every moment of my waking life from this moment on, now that I've seen split. Um, I thought the acting was good, like pretty across the board. I thought it was fine. I, the only thing, I don't believe that James McAvoy had 23 unique personalities. I don't believe, and maybe part of that is we didn't see all of them, but A, I don't know. Like, and part of that is, that's a lot of, that's a, that, it's a small number grand scheme of things, but like, if you're playing 23 roles in one piece, let's remove the fact that this is about disassociative identity disorder and just say James McAvoy is playing 23 characters for right now. Um, to do that as an actor, that it, I don't, I didn't buy it. I, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, some of them I did. Some of them were very distinct. But I don't know that I saw 23. Well, we didn't see 23. No. Yeah. If you look at the credits at the end, you see like eight or something yeah. like that. But that was the part I did buy. <laughs> that was the part because you would see his face would kind of literally change his um, I mean his like the voice obviously the mannerism stuff but for me it was more like the it was almost as if he had a different face for each one I was really impressed by that as a guy who I've known up until this point as Professor X I was like oh this is like a whole horde of uh, yeah. people yeah, no and I, I see that like I think that his acting was fine it's just more again we were told 23 and we it's sort of like it's and maybe this is a, a silly criticism like it's like a criticism very similar to oh there weren't a thousand corpses in house of a thousand corpses but at the same time it's just like I don't know it felt like they didn't deliver and maybe that's because they were planning on a sequel and we're gonna meet a whole bunch of other people which I'm not looking forward to and I'm not gonna see but yeah I think it's just laziness on Shyamalan's part. I think he the same way the same way that um, using the disorder is a lazy way to build a plot, um, uh, uh, haphazardly uh, creating the number twenty three of them means nothing as much as any other way that he's uh, uh, taken this in. He he's he shows us he doesn't care about uh, mental disorder by doing this in the first place, and then proves it even further by. Um, just sort of bastardizing it to his own will. Like it's, it's 23 because he says it's 23. Yeah. Um, it's really classic, uh, uh, screenwriting, uh, laziness. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I, I completely agree. And I think because I, correct me if wrong, I kind of zoned out near the end. Did they, (laughs) did they show that the, the James McAvoy's character was also like, he dealt with some trauma in a flashback or was that, okay. So, because that is one of the things that, like, as far as what sparks dissociative identity disorder, one of the theories is that it's usually sparked from trauma as opposed to the Hollywood narrative of, oh, he was just born this way and now he murders people and eats their skin. But, yeah. Um, Well, and that's the, yeah, so the whole thing with that was that he had, like, a mom, as a, uh, he had a mom who would, like, uh, you know, do something really graphic to him with a coat hanger or something like that every time 
something wasn't clean and the only way he could keep her happy was to clean everything and so one of his personalities one of the dominant personalities is this like ocd person which as a human being who has dealt with a lot of anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder during my life was not handled the best either it wasn't it wasn't handled as badly as it could have been but it was um and particularly because his ocd doesn't line up with mine there's like a little dissonance in my brain where i don't quite like it looks it it looks more like plot device than um it's treated more like plot device than um you know true character i guess whereas it like with me it's like it you know you know with me it's i'm tr tracking a certain series of logic inside my brain he is fine until he notices there's a crumb on her shirt and then he's just really not fine and that shirt has to go no and that's uh like because i know that you mentioned the whole idea of um him forcing them to strip and the i think that the plot reason was because it wasn't necessarily that he was going to do anything but it's because they were dirty and that's not good but it was one of those things where it's like okay i kind of am tracking his logic it's just not, it's still logic I don't agree with. Um, and there were so many moments, like, what was that moment? There was one moment where the, the child character that he, that he was um, asked if he could kiss her. And uh, one other character was, like, laying with her in bed. No, oh, there's the same character. Okay, I didn't... Uh... It's fine, but I know it wasn't. No, it's not fine. I don't have to say it's fine at all. Oh, I hate this movie. Um, <laughs> what were? Oh, so I wrote down a couple of quotes. Uh, boys make too much noise. It was just like, okay, yep. There's a lot of. Um, uh, whenever they talk about gender in this movie, there it's explicitly along uh, uh, a form of like binary thinking. So. Um, uh, her dad says females are smarter than males and she giggles, um, uh, her dad's, uh, and then she says boys make too much noise. Um, uh, where else? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess if we're the larger context here is to talk about this film's association with queerness yeah. without necessarily getting into the, um, uh, uh, gendered part of his personalities, which is a whole a separate conversation. But just initially, um, there. So it's funny that we brought up X Men, yeah. um, because this film is like a horror film that slowly becomes a film about like superpowers, which is one of the things that annoys me the fucking most about it. Is that it's like it's like it's like it's like as if you were to be introduced to, um. Superman, but it's it's starts off as like a romantic comedy, and then slowly you realize he can fly, and you're like, that's nuts. But you, when I say slowly, I mean like seven eighths of the way through the film, you're like, oh, it's Superman. That's what's like sort of fucked up about it. Is by the time it's like a superhero movie, I'm like, I don't believe this world. Yeah. Um, that said, um, the film centers around like you know the uh. uh struggle that the psychiatrist has to get other people in the community to acknowledge these people or to acknowledge the different capabilities they have as they move from personality to personality. One of the things, so it starts th this conversation when she's talking about the extreme potential they have, and she's sort of like ref uh, references it maybe being a, a higher state of evolution. Like this is where people are headed to. 
um, this whole thing of um, people change their body chemistry with their thoughts. This whole across the board problems. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's James McAvoy is is speaking for the group of personalities and says, you know, we are extraordinary. He doesn't represent a mistake, but potential. Um, the broken are the more evolved. All this bullshit, and then it it starts to really ring of the mutant stuff where you start talking about like back to the magneto debate where it's like is this human evolution or is this a, a deformity or something like that he starts to reference this disorder as like you know this is humans rising up this is what we could be if we were whatever and that's where it starts to get queer for me is there is all this stuff about um you know, there's a great line about nobody even believes we exist um and these just sort of like different uh uh you know, just from a literary perspective, the way they use language to refer to multiple, what is it, dissociative yeah, personnel? Yeah. Um, the way they use uh, uh, language to talk about the problems of that and the nuances of that reminds me fairly of the um, sort of conversation between people who uh, uh, can see gender as performative and people who see it as a fixed and constant thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that... I mean, that's interesting to me as a construct. It doesn't, it, I mean, it doesn't enmesh really well. Um, it's not a film about queerness, yeah. but it is a, an inherently queer figure. Well, and, and why don't we kind of, as much as I wanted to try this new structure, yeah, I don't love it. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about whatever we're going to talk about. Um, but specifically with transphobia. Um, honestly... Other than it's James McAvoy playing someone who has a female personality, like as one of their personalities or identities, um, could have been worse. <laughs> like that's that's my immediate thought. Is is any level of transphobic to you or? No, like it. I mean, so there is a level that because a again, like we don't have enough trans people outside of. Uh, like we don't have enough trans people represented in media having a cis man cis male actor portray female characters and particularly in a case like this many of them uh with a with pieces about disassociative identity disorder um they tend to go with like oh you've got a woman personality too and you're uh you're messed up and so people immediately sort of look to that as uh as as a trans thing even if it doesn't ID as trans, because it's more to the people that don't believe trans exists either. And I think that's where the transphobia exists within a film like this and giving James McAvoy. Because I'm, I'm curious how it would have been if one of the if that one character wasn't Miss Prince or Jupiter. What was it? Yeah, Miss something something. Miss. P name I forget but yeah uh, if she didn't exist uh, I wonder how as far as like from a transphobic perspective I, I don't think I would e I don't even think we would be bringing this movie up uh, but particularly in the trailers and things like that it was like James McAvoy abducts the girls and then he's at the door and it's like oh from M. Night Shyamalan or something hello ladies it's like oh, for fuck's sake so that's more why I wanted to do a deep dive on this one is because I saw that happening and said, okay, let's see if there is potential. 
Uh, and the answer could be, no, it's not transphobic, but I think that there is an inherent transphobia in essentially creating a story like this, which is intersectional and in saying to create a story that makes disassociative identity disorder look like this also makes people see a transphobic story, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't grasp onto a lot of transphobia in watching this, um, because it seems like more, uh, uh, disorder phobia, if that makes sense, if that's a thing. Yeah, like ableism. Yeah, yeah, well, um, um, there's, like, there's a couple odd things, like, I, I, I like that the, the, um self-harm marks that the girl has are ultimately what saves her but i don't know how i feel about the message that that sends i like how this this person who has all these personalities does have personalities that are female and male um and i'm even like pretty okay with how they're presented because again i feel like the the target is more people with I'm not like okay because the target is disorder, but not unokay with the um, transfigure in space. If that makes sense, like on 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 the one hand, I'm pissed because it's the way he's using disorder. On the other hand, I'm not pissed about the um, James McAvoy in address aspect. Yeah. So those two things exist simul simultaneously. There's nuance here. It's not a good film. It is also not. Um, a good uh, take on mental illness of any yeah. stretch. I don't think it's a bad film towards gender except where it enforces a binary, which is largely a um, uh, uh, largely a, a systemic evil sort of in the way that we talk about um, language. I thought or the way, the way that we use language when having these discussions, I'm going to keep hitting this microphone and be like the worst, worst fucking guests. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like, um, um, like, okay. So this, like, this was, you know, it's not a good film in the sense like the, the, to use to like talk about, its use of gender necessarily on the other hand um from a criticality or for, like approaching it with criticality it is interesting to use it as a lens to talk about like my own experience with queerness so when he is all of the different personalities and like coming i i was really closeted before i came to new york when i came to new york i was a very muscular bald-headed guy who was engaged to a woman like that was like that was it I was like I'm here I had like a security guard job and I was like this is great and then I started painting my nails and I was like that's and then more stuff started happening like, <laughs> it's the it's like the age-old joke of like you, you of the midwestern boy moves to New York and gets really gay really fast and that was like what was going on um it's like the it's like a 30 rock joke or something like that but it's all about the nails I, big, yeah, yeah. like well like it's funny it's funny because there were a lot of terms that I I knew the term genderqueer and I knew um had a lot of some sort of access, but didn't really have a vocabulary or understand that it was something I could act on long before it was something that I started to act on long before I ever wore a dress out long before my hair had grown long before anything like that. I had an understanding that gender wise, I was like somewhere not, um, 
on one of these two fixed points. On the other hand, I didn't really have the understanding of, oh, but that means I can change something about my life. That means I can grow and evolve. Um, one in, in the process of doing that, anybody who's come out um, as any kind of queer, really, but specifically whose gender is fluid or who as trans has experienced that sort of early stage where you're just experimenting and you're just trying to figure out what it is that makes you up until you eventually can find the, the holistic sort of Zen-like space of abandoning a label at the far end of that internal discussion. But during that discussion, you go through a lot of really hard shit where you, I, I would walk around New York and just be like, am I a woman? Am I uh, what the fuck am I? And just sort of questioning all the time and never really feeling satisfied with anything until I found this like very like fluid space where, um, you know, I've got a lady sweater on today and nails painted, but I've been feeling some facial hair lately and that all of that feels fine because there's, there's actually an existent third space. It's what in, um, quantum theory they would call a uh, superposition is when you add two valid states together, it creates a third valid quantum state. That's sort of like what happens when you accept, uh, the fluidity of queerness and the ocean that is queerness. It's like, there's, oh, there's an other, there's like a, this gray area that I can occupy and be free in and feel wonderful in and, um, so there was an interesting, like just looking at that lens, abandoning, um, this film's, you know, use or non-use of queerness and just looking at it as a lens to talk about queerness, which I think is a productive way to approach this otherwise garbage pale fire of a movie. Um, you can look at all of the different personalities and I can compare his experience of being each of those personalities to various moments in my life where I was trying, sort of trying on different hats of gender. So, you know, um, um, the first time I ever got on a train and had um, a dress on and my legs shaved and my makeup done and my hair back and like was really just full femme, um, immediately being on the train, I noticed the way men reacted differently to me. I noticed, and it not even necessarily like, um, you know, I've been catcalled before, but not necessarily like that. It was more of the guy reading the book is suddenly leaning, you know, letting the train lean him real close to me as he's reading the book and that kind of thing. Like immediately there was this, like, it was like a switch had been turned and my, you know, there's your, there's your experience of gender and your, or your perceived sense of gender. And there's the way, um, I forget what the, the two things are, but there's like your gender and there's the way society perceives your gender. And when you sort of flip that switch, the way that the reactions occur around you is immediate and fast and um, really gives you access to a different world. So in that moment, having some sense of, okay, if this is like a millionth of a percentile of what the average woman feels on a day-to-day -day fucking basis, being out on the trains, this is why I, when I'm performing more as a guy or just being a human being, should leave everyone on the train the fuck alone because it feels like you're being attacked. It feels violating or something like that. So that was interesting to me. Watching this person um, be all these different people and um, getting reactions based on which person they were, absolutely fascinating because it corresponds, however fictionally, to my own um, experience of when I go out, what neighborhood I'm going out in, how I'm dressed, who I am, whatever my performance is for that day is handled in different situations. If I go out... Um, as, uh, uh, you know, sort of like what's happening right now, which is very like a hodgepodge of, um, things I'm pulling from gender wise. I've got like my mom jeans on, but also a beard, um, not a good beard. Uh, uh, you know, this attracts a different audience than, um, if I'm really just full guy or full femme, if either of those things are happening, it's a different thing too. So yeah, that, I mean, that that's a lens that was that sort of like started to strike some of that critical 
narrative in my head and I've talked for entirely too long, please. <laughs> no, no, no. I wanted you to keep going. That was good. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, like there is, cause I want to find more in this movie. It's just, I can't move past the fact that they made a movie about disassociative identity disorder. And again, they call it by the right word, but they did this, like if there were better interpretations, if there were, positive interpretations the only one that i've seen that i've heard have uh any kind of positive criticism was the united states of terra and they and even then people with did said that they still weren't in love with it because you know it's it's a television show so they've got to make like a hyper stylized version of these these characters uh the these personas that the main character terra has um it was still handled with a lot of sensitivity and it was closest to it being a like you know like a positive portrayal of people with did um that or sybil but i don't think a a positive portrayal is what we're looking here in represent looking for in representation i think we're looking for an accurate portrayal yeah well more more than anything else and by positive portrayal what i'm saying is we see so many these are murderers that eat people's skin and we need not that and i'm not necessarily saying that we absolutely have to go in the other perspective but it would be good to get the other like what is the opposite perspective what is a as long as it's real and i think that yeah no i think you're absolutely right it's more of like what is the real perspective and i honestly don't think that we've seen that i do not have did uh to the best of my knowledge i don't know people with did but in the research that i have done many people will not tell people that they know that they have it because a uh if certain like certain states certain members of the state find out they could have their essentially their light their life and their rights taken away uh and put in an asylum uh they could you know like they uh and so it is one of those things where this is a very difficult thing to talk about because and this is where i kind of tie it into uh, i don't want to i don't want to necessarily say like i tie it into a trans experience because it's not they're very different things but that that's what i was saying is like you don't have to tie it in directly it doesn't tie in directly but you can like reflect because there is a lot of stigma and uh another fear is people losing their job if their employers find out and that is something that as trans individuals we do experience and that is something that people you know like hide it because if people find out they have this really inappropriate portrayal in the media and that's what people immediately think of is this portrayal and in that way because in a lot of cases, these do go hand in hand, the trans experience and people with, uh, and portrayals of people with disassociative identity disorder. Uh, because like I say, you look at Psycho, that made people afraid of men in dresses, even though it, it like, so we're going to talk about Psycho in a little bit. We've actually got a live show uh, on October 21st that'll be coming up. Uh, we'll have more details in a little bit. But yeah, like you look at movies like that and... This is why, like, they've kind of gone hand in hand as to completely stigmatize things that are vastly incorrect as far as their portrayal. So in that way, they have, there is a certain overlap. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious. Talking about Shyamalan, is there 
Was there a movie? Was there a moment that you said, I'm done? No more Shyamalan. I can't take this anymore. Like, not just in this movie, in any of his movies. No, were you like, okay, like, yeah. It was like Signs. It was like, Signs was like fine and interesting and okay. And then after that, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, I I probably, like, I probably would want to watch Signs again. Like, I'm not saying Signs is a bad movie. I don't remember. I was like, I was like 13 and like on a 13-year-old date watching Signs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a, like it, it is it is an, an abstraction of a date at that point. But like, it was fine. As a film, I I don't know what made that be the trigger, or, like made that the trigger for me. But I was just like done after that, and also because the 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 popular conversation had rejected him largely. The po- like like it was especially like um, so signs is like I'm like 13. After that the conversation really drifted on him towards the negative. And when you're 13, you're just trying to find anything that's good. And if everyone is saying this is trash, um, you're a little too young to be like, have a dissenting opinion regarding that. And you don't really have a lot of time to waste on bad movies anyway. So yeah, after science. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think also like talking about when you're young, like I know uh, there, there are a lot of people that if you've never seen a certain type of movie that like, like you and I have seen, like we've seen a billion of these, like let's, I'm just going to say like action movies. If you've never seen an action movie, if you've never seen predator and something comes out and you're, they're like, Oh my God, this is amazing because you know, they, they haven't seen predator. Um, so I think, I think, I don't know where I was going with that anyway. Um, but yeah, for me, I forget which one came first, but I definitely saw the happening and lady in the water and I was very mad at myself both times. And I, yeah. Oh yeah. No lady in the water is the most masturbatory M night Shyamalan. It is the one that he has a starring role in as opposed to any of the other ones. He's in this one. Actually he's in split. He's in split for a moment. And I actually, you know what? Okay, sure. He had two lines and then he was gone. He was the security guard, like, or he was the one looking at the security cam, cam footage with the second. Yeah, the super. Like, he was barely there. And you know what? Yeah, sure. That's the peak amount of Shyamalan in a Shyamalan movie that I need. Uh, but yeah, no, Lady in the Water was all about essentially, oh, uh, like, yeah, it was just all garbage and it didn't make any sense and it ran on for way too long. And then the happening. Man, the happening. Uh, at one point, I just said I can't because Mark, what's his name? Mark Wahlberg. Um, he was just like, he was supposed to be a teacher and M. Night Shyamalan cannot write for teachers. He can't write for most things. True. No, he can't write for most things. But <laughs> especially like teachers and people more intelligent than him and i'm not saying that that's easy and i'm not saying you know like oh if you're more if you're writing for a character more intelligent than you uh that's very hard for anyone but Shyamalan definitely cannot write for characters more intelligent than himself yeah Yeah. that was what the all the stuff of the psychiatrist felt like here was like um it was interesting because it was informative but she was just human exposition more or less um it is it's 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 funny that you bring up masturbating because <laughs> it's always funny. Yeah. His masturbation is always funny, but also because um his sort of Shyamalan's sort of character in the canon of films in the same way that like um uh 
you know, we can look at, we can look at, um, Hemingway as terse. Um, you can look at Shyamalan as masturbatory. Like that's almost his, um, his most basic core principle as an artist in some ways. And I'm sure that this clip is going to surface someday when I'm working on a movie with him in 20 years and <laughs> have like rejected all these opinions and he'll be like, what's this? And I'll be like, I just still believe that. Um, he, uh, right. Sure. 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 Um, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's sort of like how we, we consider him is we consider him masturbatory and it's, we, it, it's the, he's the guy with the twist at the end. And so at a certain point, like the only thing he could do that would be actually interesting to me at this point <laughs> would be if there were like an hour and a half that was just a camera on M night masturbating. And then he, <laughs> And then, and then he didn't orgasm. That would be, that would be like an absolute, like that would be a perfect, uh, uh, critical deconstruction of his work. <laughs> like if you really conceptualize that, that would be 100%. You'd be watching it and you'd be like spooky angles and all that shit. And then you would watch it and you'd be like, this spooky, is, spooky this is, <laughs> this is everything that your films are just made manifest. It's form and function colliding like atoms in a, in a, it's beautiful. It'd be. I just I remember um, being in a theater at one point, and I think it was for After Earth because they took his name off the posters. They made it so that he was very like he he did this, but he made sure. But basically, the studio wanted to make sure his name was nowhere near it. Uh, and I remember seeing the trailer. I believe it was for After Earth, and it was like, okay, this looks weird. Okay, things are happening. All right, Will Smith and Jaden Smith. Okay, and then created by M. Night Shyamalan and the entire theater just going like, ugh! <laughs> it's this amazing moment of solidarity where we were just like, ugh, no. And <laughs> so for me, I just like, and I, do, I don't want to revel in that. I don't want to, re- but M. Night's doing fine. Like, he is. Like, he's made, you know, not that money is everything, but he's made a good amount of money. He's still, I, I swear to you, after After Earth, he was not going to make another movie ever. And then, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like with, and I think, I don't think this was through Blumhouse, but I know that they did one uh, with M. Night that was The the Visit, I think. It was the found footage, yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, that kind of got people saying like, oh, maybe, maybe M. Night. And then we got split and it's just like, Yep, I see why this is the best he has put out, but oh, it's still garbage. <sighs> okay, well, let's start wrapping up. Um, so, I think I know the answer to these things, but uh, as you know, having been on the show before, we ask two questions at the end. Is it transphobic and is it enjoyable? Because <laughs> <laughs> they can be both or they could be neither. Um <laughs> So, or it could be 50-50. So you can express this in any way, shape, or form you see fit. It could be a 1 to 10 scale. It can just be a noise. Uh, However you need to express this. Was this movie, was split by M. Night Shyamalan, transphobic? Um, No, it it wasn't transphobic. It was bad. It was not unentertaining. So it's not even that it wasn't enjoyable on some level there's some level that i enjoyed this at but i don't i don't i didn't feel i didn't feel any of my queerness attacked let me put it that way i never at any point felt slighted in that sense i did feel slighted as a person with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder 
and I did feel attacked as an audience member, yeah. but not as a queer. So yeah, I think just because of the things that I had said before and the long history of people with uh, disassociative identity disorder also being sort of like, and rather their portrayal in media being a reason that people hate both people with DID as well as trans individuals, there's an extent that because this did nothing to change that, uh, it's still pushing forward that system so to me yeah it's still it's a little transphobic but it could have been a lot worse um you had something to say it's, it's almost it's almost transphobic in the way that um uh blade runner 2049 is racist like blade runner 2049 is racist because it's a future that only imagines white people more or less like that's the main problem with it i I've still have not seen it but the criticism i've heard um, is that, you know, if Ridley Scott's going to imagine the future, you might want to include some people of color. Well, and, and this this was also, just speaking of Blade Runner, this was also an issue with the original Blade Runner, not necessarily that people of color didn't exist, but particularly because they sort of imagined a future that was sort of like amalgamated American and Japanese, and they did have some Asian people in the background, but there weren't any prominent non-white actors in the original Blade Runner uh, and so I think it's even worse in 2049 because yeah. like you didn't learn your lesson yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah as far as enjoy as far as like back to split because we love talking about this um, yeah as far as enjoyability there are some good moments again I see why people are touting this as like a pseudo return to form I just Honestly, I couldn't get past it. <laughs> Sorry, I knocked the microphone down. Uh, I couldn't get past sort of the the portrayal of DID, and again, this this whole other like this. It just sucked. Like the the pacing sucked. The moments that were really good were good, but honestly, I don't think you need to watch this movie. Like I think that there are other movies that have good moments and also a good plot and also not (laughs) ableist bullshit. So there are some good things in it. It was competently made, but I I was bored. I kind of just checked out at some point near the end. So, yeah. I don't think you need to watch this movie. Um, You probably, you might want to watch this movie and that's fine. I don't, I don't criticize you for that, but I don't, you're not missing and like i had seen the trailer been interested forgot it existed completely it showed up for this and i was like oh cool i kind of wanted to see this and then saw it and was like i i did not it was i was correct in not buying a ticket going to the theater like it was i was fine without Awesome. So let's wrap up. Uh, what do you, like? How do you want people to find you on the internet if you want people to find you? Because you can say, "Don't go looking for me." But yeah, um, um, uh, you can find me at www.missuppity.com. It's M-I-S-S-U-P-P-I-T-Y. Um, I stopped doing the Instagram thing because the Instagram thing was really unhealthy for my brain. So I I stopped really doing any social media, but. Um, I send email blasts every now and then when I put out a new thing, I just put up an album of, um, 35 millimeter shots from New York and Ohio called Bethlehem. That's, um, the, uh, a, a sort of like queer album in a sense, cause it bl- merges my two worlds for the first time. And also 
um, has some different portrayals of men that are very gentle and um, a portrait of my uh, uh, younger sister with an, um, her newborn, you know, uh, becoming a mother for the second time. And um, so that's up there. And, um, you know, that's the easiest way. com. Awesome. Uh, and for me, obviously, like I always say, you can find me on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, then the number four. Uh, is It Transphobic also has its own Twitter at Is It Transphobic. Uh, you're probably watching it on the Facebook page right now, the Is It Transphobic podcast. Uh, but also, and this is a thing I alluded to earlier when we were talking about Psycho, we uh, now have a live show. It is going to be coming up October 21st, and that's going to be at the tank. Uh, we'll have more information about buying tickets and more information about uh, specific start time, but it's going to be at some point in the afternoon. It's a Sunday, and we're going to be talking about Psycho. So exciting. I'm really, I'm stoked. Ah, like, yeah. Congratulations. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you know if you're able to make it? Okay, so we may, so you may be able to see Tony there. Yeah, I have something that night, but not the afternoon. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right, so uh, let's do something visual so that the people on Patreon are getting something. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that that I'm sure that was visual. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I I just wiggled very weirdly. So, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I don't know if I would say that I had a much better reaction, but it was definitely a visual one. All right. Thank you so much for watching, everybody. Is it transphobic? Was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. <laughs>